Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. lived in uh, a lot of different places kind of in the world and I've had a, a huge blessing of traveling and stuff and I love it but there's one place that specifically had lightning all the time like all the time and it was crazy it was also raining all the time and uh and basically this is this story doesn't do anything except for lightning and it's just funny so uh but basically it was wild you'd be walking and lightning would be scattering throughout the sky it looked like a tree like all throughout the sky all the time but there was um we, so lightning was pretty common, actually, and we were, um, I was outside, and I was filming on my phone, because it was raining like crazy, like, and, and so I was filming it, and I was like, this is crazy, like, filming, you can barely hear me, and then I, I, I was outside the door at this, like, Cam- it was Cambodia, so it was, like, Cambodian cafe, and then I basically step in, and the minute I step in through the door, it was like a, it was like a flash grenade went off in the room. And the whole room lit up, and we couldn't see for a second, just the whole room. And then all of a sudden, all, everything just rat, rattled. And it was just like, it sounded like a grenade or a gunshot went off. It was just, pow, really loud. And it was instantaneous. And so, and everyone like screamed and freaked out. And then we turned around, and everyone outside was like stunned. And they were all looking at the ground where light, the lightning had hit. Wow. And um, and this one guy, because remember, I walked through, and then it happened, and I turned around, and this one Cambodian guy, he walked, and he looked at the exact spot where I was standing 30 seconds earlier, and he pointed at it, and then he looked at me, and he pointed at me, <laughs> and then he looked at the spot, he pointed at the spot, and he looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he was like... And someone was like, oh, you almost died. Like, <laughs> like literally, wow. like, 30 seconds after I moved, lightning hit the same spot where I was standing. And, uh, and, I was, and my feet were all wet. I stepped up into the door and out of the water and then shut the door, and then all of a sudden, lightning hit. Crazy, funny, funny story now. But um, at the moment, I got this, like, fear of God. I was like, oh. <laughs> like, I literally almost just got hit by lightning. Like... Missed it by that much, like, whoo. Anyway, funny story. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's, it was lightning. So, alrighty, guys. Do you guys still feel passionate? I still feel passionate. Yeah. Do you feel more passionate for God than oh, a few yeah. minutes ago? Si, senor. Si, senor. Great. Can you give it up? Now that Joel's up here. Joel and Woo! Diana yeah! and, and Tom, yeah! Thomas. And so, such, such a great job. Way to go, guys. Alrighty, guys. So, um, like I said, uh, we're talking about passion on this trip and uh, passion for God, passion for going for him. How do you stay passionate? How do you become passionate? How do you keep that passion for Jesus and the presence of God and all this stuff? And um, because I, I really believe that passion, this should be the mark of Christianity, like passion. I said it before, but but boring Christianity should be an oxymoron. Like those two words should never go together. And for a Christian to say I'm bored in life, um, that that should be unheard of. And yet, unfortunately, it's it's like super common. Yeah. Right. 
You know, it's almost it's almost the default is more people say they're bored as Christians um, and, and they feel bored. And yet it and there's this attractiveness of, well, people in the world, they get to live life and party and do all this stuff. Right. And but no, no, no. The world should be looking at us and saying, no, we're bored. You're living life. <laughs> like, how come you have a passion? How come you're on fire? How come, what, are, what do you have that I don't? Christians, normal Christianity was always meant to be what the Bible shows us of Christians, yeah. of the early disciples, the early church. That was normal Christianity. And I think if the early disciples came nowadays and they looked at the church around the world, they'd be so confused. Right. They would be like, what? Like, what do you, what? Christianity is just going to church on Sundays? Like, what are you talking about? Come you know, on. like for them, it was this radical lifestyle, this radicalness of everyone I talk to, God's flowing and people are getting healed and cities are getting overturned. Cities either break out in revival or try to kill you. Like that's normal. <laughs> like, like either the city throws you out or breaks out into revival. There was no like, eh, whatever, you know, like, you know, and Christians today, they're like, oh man, I'm under persecution. That guy said I was a loser for being a Christian. And they're like, <laughs> What? What? You didn't get any rocks thrown at you? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Right? Like, like it was a different level of Christianity. And, and I feel like there's a calling of the church back to a passion. A passion, again, for Jesus. And, oh man, would we be those people? And you already are. You already are the hungry ones. You already came here to encounter God to meet him, to encounter family and to encounter God. That's what I believe. Encounter each other and family, encounter God first and foremost. And so uh, I just want to go after um, just a story of someone in the Bible who I believe really marked passion and I really believe gave principles for living a passionate lifestyle. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to have a couple points for all of our good note takers, but I'm also just going to try to just have more of a bunch of nuggets to throw out, okay? And whatever stays. My voice is feeling a little hoarse, so so just, uh, yeah, no. Amen. So, um, but, so bear with me, okay? Um, but basically... I believe one of the greatest characters in the Bible who shows me what passion is found in a man of God is a man named Elisha. Elisha, S-H, Elisha. Well, honestly, we hear about Elijah, Eli, you know, Elijah, right? He's great, also shows passion, but specifically, I want to focus on Elisha because we get a unique perspective of this man as a young man and then as an old man, and his passion didn't never dwindled, never changed. And so the story of him, we're going to go, I'm going to give you twofold side. I'm going to give you when he was a young man, first walking into his destiny, and then as an old man on his deathbed. I'm going to give you the two different sides of it, okay? Um, because I, I want to see people, I want to see young people who we passionately find God for our destiny like he did, but I want to see people that in 50, 60, 70 years were still burning for God, right? Um, not people that say, I remember the good old days. I remember back when I used to be in love with God. Um, I, I, would we never be that? Would we be a people that burn more? That, you know, I, I was at, back when I was doing missions, I had this lady, she was 80 years old, just now starting to be a missionary to the nations. And, and uh, she said, never retire, only refire, was what she would say. Only refire. And we'd be sitting there, and, and, and it was a school of like 18-year-olds, to like 20, early 20s, late 20s, maybe was the oldest. And then this 80-year-old lady right in the middle. And she would just yell, glory, whenever. Like, and people were like, I want to be like her when I'm old. Like, like, wow, you know, this is great. So anyway, turn to 2 Kings 2, verse 1. 2 Kings 2, 1. This is where we, this is where we, this is where we officially start. Yes, you okay? I'm okay. Get permission to little pinch your neighbor. 
to wake them up if they need it, okay? No, I'm just kidding. All right. All right, here we go. Second Kings. Y'all look here, David. No, no, no. You ain't got permission to do that. Second Kings, chapter 2, verse 1. 2-1. All righty, here we go. This is what it says. It says, now. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah to heaven. So don't get confused. There's Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is this prophet. changed Israel, did crazy things for God, okay? Um, and Elisha was like his kind of his mentor, his spiritual son, uh, you know, the disciple of him, okay? Now when, Eli- when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, uh, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, so the spiritual father prophet says to his spiritual son, disciple, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not. Amen. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) It's great. It's all right. It's all right. It's all good. Okay, but Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. It's hard to tell if Elijah was testing Elisha um, or if for some reason maybe he gave him permission to leave. But for some reason he said, no, 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 you're allowed to go. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to heaven. But you're allowed to to leave. And even though it would have been easier to leave, people don't realize Bethel and Gilgal were really far apart from each other. And he said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go walk to this other city. You don't need to go. We'll say goodbye here. And Elisha says, no, (laughs) no way, man. I'm coming with you. He says, I am going with you, even though it means an extra journey. I am going to be with you till the moment you leave this earth. I will not leave you. You see, passion is a choice. It's a commitment. It is a commitment. There you go. Point one. I'll give it to you real quick. How do you get passion? You choose it. You don't feel it. You choose it. You choose passion until you feel it. And then when you feel it, you'll keep choosing it because you finally feel it. Right? But you choose passion. You choose commitment. You choose it. He says, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving you. I will literally go the extra 20 miles. I'm not going to leave you. It's not a feeling of the moment, but it's a commitment that says, I'm not going to leave you. I don't care if it's uncomfortable. I'm not leaving. This is a a quote from a commentator. It said that Elisha had learned somehow, perhaps maybe from Elijah himself, we don't know, that this would be Elijah's last day on earth. Determined to be with his father in the faith till the very end, Elisha refused Elijah's suggestion that he remain comfortably in Gilgal. A dying person often pronounced blessing on others. And Elisha did not want to miss out on this opportunity to receive God's blessing on his life and his ministry. You see, guys, Elisha knew if I stay with him until the end, I'm going to be blessed. So many of us were like, well, if God wants to, he'll bless me. I'll stay in Gilgal, I'll stay in my comfort. God will come get me when it's time to go. God is sovereign, he'll get me when it's time to go. And Elisha says, no, 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 I follow you. I'm going until God. See, there's a passion shifts it. Passivity says, I will wait till God blesses me and changes me. Passion says, no, no, I will go until God changes me. Like, I I will pursue until God gets me. I'm not gonna wait, I'm going after this thing. Second Kings 2, 3, okay, so the next verse. 
It says, and the sons of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? So the sons of prophet were a school of ministry, pretty much. Elijah created a bunch of prophets, like a school, taught them how to be prophets, all this stuff. And he had them in different cities, and he would go through a circuit. Some believe he was kind of saying goodbye, going to his last couple cities, saying bye to his prophets, his school that he created, right? So the prophets, either they knew because they were prophets, or Elijah told them, I don't know. But somehow they knew this is Elijah's last day. And Elisha says to him, yes, I know. Keep quiet. He basically says, like, yeah, 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 I know. Shut up. Stop it. Like, I know. I get it. I get it. My, because he's mourning. My spiritual dad is leaving. My spiritual dad is dying. He's moving on. This is his last day on earth. I don't need your information of this, you know. I know. We all know. Right? What's crazy, guys, is he has this school with him. Actually, I'm going to move on to the next verse, and you'll see. Elisha said to him, Elisha, please stay here. Stay with these school prophets. Stay with these people. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. I'm going to go to another city now. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. As long as there's a God and as long as you're still here on earth, I'm with you. I'm staying with you. So they came to Jericho, which was another miles away. There will be times, guys, when God will purposely test your passion and your commitment. By saying, you don't have to do this anymore. You're released from your commitment. Wow. Elijah said to Elisha, hey, you're like released. You're okay. You don't need to be with me anymore. It's fine. You don't have to follow me anymore. You're okay. And Elisha says, no, as long as there's a God and as long as you're here, I'm in this with you. And I think God sometimes, it wasn't a sin issue in this moment. There was no sin. There was no right, wrong in that sense. But it was a determinant of passion and how badly do you want this blessing that's going to come. He, he basically says, like God a lot of times, sometimes he will give you these moments where he's like, yeah, you can back out. It's not the wrong answer. You can back out if you want. And sure, you'll get blessed. You'll have a good life and all that stuff. Like if there's nothing bad. But there's a blessing you will mess out if you, if you back wow. out. Just because the door, just because God says you're allowed to leave doesn't mean you should leave, right? You can if you want, you have free will, but if you want to press in for more, the option's still there. He doesn't want people who follow because they have to because of an assignment, but because they want to out of commitment and out of faithfulness. He's looking for people who say, I don't have to follow you, but I will. I don't have to stay here, but I'm not leaving, right? This is the original thing in the garden. I don't have, like, I want to be, I want to be in a committed relationship, not just because I have to obey, right? Sometimes God will purposely say, like, no, look, you don't need to, like, it's not an obedience issue right now. You do what you want. And he's looking to see who will say, I'm still in this, God. Wow. I still choose you. The sons of prophets who were at Jericho drew near. So there's another school now, separate group of sons of prophets, Okay. In Jericho, drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. (laughs) This second group of prophets, they're so prophetic, they also knew somehow. Either Elijah told them or somehow they picked it up prophetically, but they knew this is his last day on earth. And Elijah's like, Yeah, I know, I know, I get it. But what's crazy is these were two different groups of people. And he poured his life into them. He poured his ministry into them. And yet only one son followed him. Wow. There's a whole group of people, a whole school of ministry that claim to be the sons of the prophet. Wow. 
And they just let and said bye to their spiritual dad. All right, see ya. We know you're leaving. We know this is your last day. We fully are aware of it. See you later. They were named sons of the prophet, and yet there was really only one son, Elisha, who went with him. A whole group of people who were incredibly gifted, incredibly hungry, but only one of them was committed until the end. Wow. Elisha. They had the gift of Elijah. They could prophesy. They called themselves the sons of the prophet. But in the end, on Elijah's last day of life, none of them were there. Elisha seemed to be the only one who actually understood sonship. It's not enough to to name yourself a son or a daughter of a house. Right? You show it through your faithfulness. You will find people who are extremely gifted, who are prophets, who are healers, who are evangelists, who've been trained by the best. And they'll name drop, I'm a son of Elijah. People will be like, ah, I was trained at Bethel. You know, I was trained at YWAM. I was trained at IHOP. I was trained, and they'll name drop to you. But it means, it really doesn't mean much. Unless they're name dropping, but but show me through your faithfulness that you carried this thing. They prophesied the ending of Elijah, but none of them walked to the ending of Elijah. Only Elisha did. Their gifting was greater than their passion for intimacy. They said they, they, they wanted Elijah for the gifting he could give them but not for the intimacy of knowing the man, wow. knowing the person, knowing the father. Yes, they were trained. Yes, they were gifted. All good things. But they lost the intimacy of knowing the person. Wow. See, passion is a character trait. It's not a personality trait. It's not a gift. It's not a feeling. It's not like, oh, that extrovert's crazy passion and that introvert's not. You know, it's not like, oh, he just has the gift of passion. You know, oh, he's just a passionate one and I'm not. I'm more reserved. Like, no, no, no. That, no. Passion's actually a character trait, just like integrity, just like faithfulness, yeah, yeah. because it's a choice that you choose to go after even wow. when you don't feel it, even when you don't want it, even when all the other people aren't going for it, even when you have permission from the mentor to not go for it. Passion's the character trait that says I'm still going to push for it. I'm still going to go after it until I receive what I want from God, until I receive the blessing, until I receive the more of the Lord. I don't care if I feel it, I'm pressing in. I don't care if I'm tired, I'm pressing in. Mm. Right? I don't care if it's like almost 11 at night. (laughs) Pressing in. See guys, I'm trying to show you passion is a character trait we choose. Not a feeling we get. Second Kings, the next verse, it says, uh, two, we're in verse six. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. I'm going to another place now. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. What if we as the church have this mentality? You know, how would our nation change? How would the world change if we had this kind of a posture? You know? Verse 7, 50 men of the sons of prophet also went, so they're a little better. These guys followed a little bit, but they stood at some distance from them. Only one man stood close to him. 50 stood at a distance as they both were standing by the Jordan. 50 men from this school followed him, but they stood at a difference. They wanted to see what would happen to Elijah because they knew he was going to leave. 
but they didn't want to be too close to him. They want, and I'm reading into a little bit here, but it almost seems as though they knew the prophetic word, so they wanted to see it happen, but they didn't want to be right there with him. So they stood at a distance and they watched, and only one side stood next to him. They kept themselves at a distance because they know he's about to leave. And who knows? Who knows why? You, we can guess. Maybe it's too painful to see the mentor leave. Maybe uh, there's different reasons. I don't know. But for some reason, there was something blocking them, and they stood at a distance and watched. How do you know when your passion is dying? When you choose to start standing at a distance. When you choose to create a distance between you and that thing, your passion's starting to die for that thing. When you are starting to say, you know what, I'm going to distance myself a little bit from that community, your passion for that community has started to die. When you say, I'm going to start distancing myself a little bit, because they were preparing for his death, so they distanced themselves. When you distance yourself, you're preparing for that thing to die. You're preparing for, right? Watch, what do you distance yourself from? That's your passion's leaving closeness, choosing closeness, even though it hurts, even though I'm mourning, even when it's hard, choosing to press close like Elisha keeps your passion alive. The greater the distance, the lesser the passion. So how do we get passion? That's what we're asking tonight. We're going after how do we get passion? You press into it. First, you choose it. Second, you press into it. Point one, you choose it. I'm going to be passionate. Second, you press into it. Even when it hurts, I'm pushing in pushing in. Watch your heart. Where are you creating distance? It's where your passion's dying. True passion's willing to press into commitment, into intimacy, even when it'll hurt. Sometimes it's far too painful to press into God. It's easier to have a safe distance. I know it. I know the tension so well. I'm like, God, I have this dream. God, I have this promise. God, I have this desire. But it's not happening, God. <laughs> right? And it's too painful to live pushing into it. It's so much easier to stand at a distance and watch others do it. And then maybe when it's my turn, God, will, uh, Elijah will call me to come over there. You know? It's too hard sometimes to stand close. But passion, keep your passion alive, means pressing in. Pressing in even when it's hard. Like I said, yeah, the area you distance, the area is where, that's the same area your passion's dying. Even when it hurts, passion keeps itself close. I'm trying to show you the character traits of passion and how to become a passionate people. Next verse, verse 8. Then Elijah took his cloak, and he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and the water was parted. The Jordan was the river, so they're at the river Jordan. He hits the water, and it parts to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. The 50 did not go over. Only two of them crossed. So for some reason, 51 people came, but only one crossed the Jordan with him. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Everything you carry, let me carry that and more. That's all I I want. I want everything that you have and more. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, It shall not be so. It is possible to press in through all of this and at the very end still miss it. Wow. 
He says, but if you don't see me when I leave, it's not going to be yours. And 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah, get this straight, Elijah did not go up in chariot. He did not go up on the horses in the chariot. It says the chariot came and separated the two of them. And he went up in a whirlwind. Separate things. So, this is, this is and I'm going to see if I can explain this right. He said, keep your eyes on me as I go up. And then a chariot came down from heaven and separated them. I don't know about you, but my eyes would cease to be on Elijah and it'd be on the horse on fire flying at me. Wow. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, keep my eyes on you. Oh my gosh. Like, like, what is that? Right? And this chariot on fire from heaven comes flying at you. It literally separates you. How does it separate two people when they're not? It's coming at you and you're like, oh, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> it, like, it literally forces a separation wow. between the two of them. But notice something important. Elijah said, if you keep your eyes on me, you'll get my anointing. And if you get distracted, you're not going to get it. And then a distraction comes and literally separates them. But the distraction was from God. The distraction was from heaven. And it's a good distraction. Horses on fire flying in from the sky. Are you kidding me? Like, it doesn't matter how much I promise you I'll keep my eyes on you. When fiery horses come flying at me, like, I forgot my promise. Like, like, like I don't even, oh, man. Like, that's a miracle that you can still be like, oh, oh, keep my eyes on you. You know, like, okay. Then God, so God, it wasn't hell. It wasn't distraction. It wasn't demons. It was heaven coming down. God sent the chariot and fiery horses, and they swirl. They separate them. But did Elijah go up into the chariot? No, he goes up in a whirlwind. Wow. Separate. Remember that promise. If you keep your eyes on me, so not the chariot. That would be so incredibly hard, man. How, how is that possible? How would you do that? Wow. If, if I were him, I would have been like, oh, dude. Dude, this is crazy. This is crazy. Elijah, dude. Oh, he's gone. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. I missed it. What the heck? <laughs> right? Like, I missed it. So why would God do that? Wow. I believe it was to reveal his passion. Mm. To reveal his commitment. Wow. To reveal it. Dang. It's easy to say your passion, but when the distraction comes, where do your eyes go? Wow. So good. Yeah. Do they so easily leave the very thing you say you're committed to? And they look, we have this issue in, in, in just in the world, you know, especially us <laughs> millennials. We got, dude, we got a short attention span, man. But, but in, in the Christian church, we have this like shiny, shiny object syndrome where we're like, oh, God's doing this. Now he's doing this. Now he's doing this. And we can't commit anywhere because we're so afraid we're going to miss him out somewhere else and be like, God, you're doing revival in, in Africa. Oh, but you called me here. But God, I want to be there. And we never really commit anywhere because because shiny, shiny, <laughs> right? And and but and they're both from God. The chariots were from God, wow. but it was not meant to be what he was meant to look to in that moment. Wow. Keep your eyes not like right? Like keep your eyes on what God's calling you to, not just anywhere. Oh man, I want to be all over the world. 
Like every time I hear a story of revival, I'm like, pack my bags, I want to go. Right? And God's like, keep your eyes on where I have you. Keep your eyes where I have you. He's revealing it in that moment. Do they so do my eyes so easily move, right? Are you in this for the moment thrill? Because he'd have a crazy story. He'd leave and be like, oh, dude, I saw chariots of fire come from heaven. And everyone would be like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. You got to see, that's wild, man. Right? And he still would have had a great story. But it would have been a moment thrill, a moment miracle, a moment thing, and nothing would have changed for his life. Come on. And he'd have the story of when God did something awesome, and it, but, but nothing actually changed in his life. He, he wouldn't have changed. He wouldn't have gotten the double portion. He would have remained the same. God will personally, purposefully send heavenly distractions sometimes. Mm. Not bad ones, even glorious ones, to reveal where does your passion lie. Wow. Where does your passion lie? There's He wants to see where my eye is going. This and this happens all the time. We pray, God, give me a new job, give me a new job, and then that job comes. And it's so amazing, it's so God, I make more money than ever, but then I forget my passion for Jesus. And how did the very thing that God gave me become now the distraction away from keeping my eyes on it? Right? We pray for the boyfriend, girlfriend, right, to come. And then God sends them from heaven, right? Right? In a chariot of fire, right? 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 And then this very thing that we say that God gave to us becomes a distraction, and we take our eyes to them now, the miracle, the miracle of them, no. (laughs) But our eyes now go to them instead of God, the very one who gave the gift. And we lose sight of the giver, and we start to pay attention to the gift. We look to the, we look and we celebrate the miracle, which is good, but we forget about the miracle worker, the, the one who, who did it. And the very gift, the very blessing of God becomes the actual distraction. If we move our eyes to that versus to him, I see it time and time again. People pray for breakthrough, they get the breakthrough, and then, they're, and then they don't understand why their faith had fell. Because they start to focus on the new thing. They focused on that new job so much that their passion died. But I thought God gave me this job. Wow. He did. He sent the chariots. Wow. But you took your eyes to the chariots and said to him still. Yeah. Keep your passion alive. Your passion will follow your eyes. So what, what are you looking to? That is what you're passionate about. Where do you look? That'll tell you your passion. If you're looking to work all the time, yeah. your passion is work. If you're looking to the guy, to the girl, your passion's the guy, the girl. If you're looking to the future or to the past, that's kind of where your passion lies. Maybe we'll get better there. Or maybe it was better back then. Where your eyes are looking is where your passion lies. I love the gifts of God. I love the chariots of fire. I want that. I want that. But would they never remove my eyes from him? Come on now. If you want to rekindle your passion for him, give your eyes to him once again. And Elisha saw it and he cried, he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel on his horse. I mean, I would do that. Oh, father, look at the chariots, right? Like this is what he does, right? Oh, yeah. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. That's crazy. 
And then Elijah, he keeps, he looks at Elijah and says, okay, and it says, and he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. This is a sign of grief. Usually when someone dies or is taken from you, they would tear themselves, their clothes, to show mourning. So even in this miraculous moment, he mourns for the loss of his father. <clears throat> Remember that line, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel. Remember it. I'm going to come back to it, okay? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Is this okay? Fabulous. We go hard? We go hard. We go hard? We go hard? Here we go. Your passion will follow your eyes. What are you looking to? That's what your passion is about. Okay. Remember the line, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel. And it's horsemen. Remember that, okay? Here we go. Verse 13. He took up the cloak of Elijah. How did he know where the cloak fell? Because he was keeping his eyes on Elijah and he saw where it was dropped, okay? He picks up the very cloak that Elijah had. That had fallen from him, and he went back, and he stood at the bank of the Jordan. So he takes up Elijah's cloak. He goes back to the river once again, and he takes the cloak that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, just like Elijah did. And he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Wow. Sometimes I have this passion in me that just says, where is the God of Elijah? And you've got to strike, strike the ground. Where is that God? I saw you do it with him. It's time you do it through me. Come on. I've seen you do it through that crazy revivalist. You got to do it through me. There has to be a desperation in your heart that says, I am not okay with just seeing them do it. It has to happen through me as well. It has to happen through me as well. And I've said it. I've had times. I've seen Pastor Daniel pray for people. Miracles break out, all this stuff. And then I've had times where I've had to lead at youth camp. And I'm like, oh man, oh man. And I think of Pastor Daniel, I'm like, where is the God of Pastor Daniel? <laughs> right? Like, like, same God, do it through me. I'm his spiritual son. I got the same thing. I'm going for it. I've seen times where Pastor Andrew pray for people. It was crazy. It was awesome. And there's moments where I'm like, where's the God of Pastor Andrew? Right? Like, same God, same thing. Do it again. Do it through me, God. You got to say that it's not for Pastor Taylor or them. Do it through me, God. You are my God. Do it through me. Where's the God? And you got to go for it. You got to get violent towards it. Be like, no, it has to happen through me. I'm not okay being a sons of the prophet and watching from afar. I need to walk in the cloak of the prophet. I need to be covered in the same thing. I need it. If it happened through you, it can happen through me. You got to get that. You got to get that. And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over, just like what had happened. Wow, wow, wow. Elisha immediately tested it. See, uh, he said, let's see if God will do the same thing through me. Wow. Elisha, he doesn't wait and say, show me, God, if I've received it. <laughs> you know, he took action with it. Elijah pursued. He pursued Elijah, and then he pursued the anointing, and then he pursued the blessing, and then he pursued testing it. He didn't just say like, okay, I believe I got it. Let's see if one day it shows up. He immediately tried it out. That's so good. See, passion pursues. Passion pursuer. Passion pursues. You will never be passionate about something unless you're willing to pursue it. How do you stir up passion? We're trying to answer this question. How do I stir up passion? I don't feel passion. How do I stir it up? Pursue. Pursue him. Call upon him. Where are you, God? Come. Call upon him. Where is the God of Elijah? Come. You pursue. 
Passion is never passive. It always pursues. How do you get passion? Become a pursuer. It's really hard to become passive about something you're pursuing. So if you don't, if you feel passive, start pursuing it, and then you'll get passionate about it. But the passion won't come until you start pursuing. A lot of times we wait. We say, when I'm passionate about something, then I'll start pursuing that something. And it's backwards. It says, no, 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 no. Pursue it, and then the passion will follow. Pursue it, and the passion will follow. Pursue God in worship, and the passion will come to worship. Pursue God in his word in the Bible, then the passion for the word of God will come. Pursue God in prayer, and then the passion for prayer will come. Pursue God in church, and then your love for the church will come. Your passion for the church will come. Pursue the lost, and then your passion for the lost will come. Whatever you pursue, the passion follows. How do you get passion become a pursuer? If you're not... If if you aren't willing to become uncomfortable, if you aren't willing to have a tension moment where you say, where are you, God? This is a tense moment. He struck, where is the God of Elijah? This is a a tense moment. If you're not willing to get to that place, then you're never going to be passionate. You have to stir it up. You got to stir it up. 2 Kings 2.15, so the next verse. Now when the sons of of the prophet, remember they're watching all this from a safe distance. Safe distance. Now when the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho saw him opposite of them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. (laughs) They were like, oh dang, he can do what they did. You're right? He got it. And they came to meet him and then they bowed to the ground before him. Man, I wonder, man, what if all of them were there and they all kept their eye on him? But instead they separated from themselves and they're like, Oh, look, now that guy has that guy. Now it's about him. Wow. And they're bowing before a man rather than bowing before the God. Once again, they're honoring the gift. They're honoring, they're going after the gift and the person rather than God himself. So they got to see the cool chariot of fire, but they missed out on the impartation. 50 prophets said, do you know what God is doing? And they were telling him the prophetic word. Do you know this is God's last day? Or do you know that God's taking him to is Elijah's last day? But only one said, I'm, yeah, I'm going to get everything before it's over. Come on. Wow. You, if you knew it was his last day, you think you would try to get as much as you could. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were like, they stopped at the gifting of saying, I know the prophetic word. And they didn't take wow. it any further. Fifty of them stood at a distance and only one stood in his presence. You can be incredibly gifted and yet still not have the passion to pursue. You can actually be known for your gifting. They were known in Israel as the sons of the prophet. And they all knew prophetic stuff and operated as prophets. You can actually be known for your gifting and still not have the passion and miss out on the impartation. Fifty-one people heard Elijah was leaving and only one positioned himself as a son and stayed next to him the whole way. Fifty of them saw the chariot, saw this whole thing happen, but only one of them kept their eyes on Elijah. They were called sons of the prophet because they learned from him, but only one really positioned himself as the son. You guys doing all right? Okay. So Elisha operates then as the main prophet for decades. Some say 60, 65 years. He operates as now the prophet. 
And there's a moment we come to a story at the end of his life. He's dying. And it's over. The kingdom of Israel is kind of fallen. is all torn apart. They're surrounded by enemies. It says that tons, thousands, hundreds of thousands of chariots and horses have surrounded Israel and are coming in to invade. The nation's in a bad spot. It says the enemy is coming from, uh, for them and they have their way outnumbered. Israel doesn't have many horsemen or chariots or anything like that. They're far outnumbered. 2 Kings 13, 14. It says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die. So he was going to die. Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him. So the king comes to him because he's dying. And he cried out to Elisha, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He says the exact same thing that 60 years earlier Elisha said to Elijah. And now it's a role reversal. Now Elisha's leaving and a young king comes to him and says, my father, my father. And this time he's not talking about the miraculous necessarily, but he's saying Israel and a horseman and the chariots. He's talking to him, but he literally says the same thing. And I wonder if in that moment Elisha has a flashback of like, wow. Ah. Wow. That's what I said right before Elijah gave me double of everything he had. And now here's this young man crying out to me for, for, for the same thing. Wow, wow. And he calls out to him the same way. You see, passion chooses to pursue, to call out to fathers and mothers. Passion says, I can't do this alone. I need people who've gone before me. That's good. Whatever you are passionate about, you need to pursue mentors in that area. If you're not willing to pursue help in that area, you're not really passionate in that area. Because you have have no one calling you higher into it. To say I'm passionate about something, but I'll do it alone, it doesn't work. How do you get passionate? This question we've been answering. You have to get people who already have it. Mm. Find people who have the passion you want. (laughs) Call out to them. Call out to them. There we go. I have two more pages left. You guys okay? I see some of you like, I'm trying. I'm trying. My father, my father, the chariots. <laughs> I'm still here. Keep in it, guys. It's worth it. Keep in it. Keep in it. I go hard. I go hard. I go hard. (laughs) Surround yourself with people who have it. And I wonder if it was going through his head, and I'm I'm reading into it, but it would go through my head. If I'm saying there, and and I'm on my deathbed, and I hear a young man call out to me and say the exact same words I said when I received my impartation from the older man leaving. And I hear that. I wonder... I would be like, wow, maybe this is finally the young one I get to pass it off to. The same way he passed it off to me. Wow. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on him. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of impartation. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek. 
until you have made an end of them. He says, take this arrow, shoot it out the window. Eastward was where the enemy was. So he says, shoot it at him. It was a statement of offense. It was a statement. When you were invading a ter- territory, they would shoot an arrow at it as like a threat. Hey, we're coming. And so he says, stop being this victim of like, oh no, we're going to die. Shoot the arrow towards him. God's going to give you the victory. Wow. Okay. The Lord, he said, the Lord's arrow of victory. And so he shot it. And he said, this is a symbol as the arrow flies that God is giving you victory. Verse 18, and he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king, strike the ground with them. A lot of times people, they have this picture where they think that it means he grabbed a bundle. And he said, hit the ground with them. That's what, that's what we think. Majority of commentators say that's not correct. So the, most of them say, no, 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 no. To strike the ground means to shoot the ground. Uh, and wow. and they, he just showed him how to do it. He said, take this arrow and shoot it. And then he says, now take all these other. And he said, as this one arrow flies, is so your victory. And he shows him, this is the symbolism. So now he says, now take these other arrows and shoot them. Strike the ground with them. Right? You don't take arrows and hit the ground with them. You shoot them out. Mm-hmm. Right? And so most historians commentators said, no, what he was saying, what would have been understood was shoot them out towards the enemy. Shoot them out as a proclamation of victory. Right? So he says, get the arrows, strike the ground with them. And it was a symbol that as each arrow flies, so will be another victory for you. Wow. <laughs> and he says, and he struck the ground, so he shot it three times, and then he stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike wow. down Syria wow. only three times. Wow. So this is a commentary or historian. This is what he says. He says that the king fired off three more arrows and then stopped. Elisha was angry with him for stopping because the king was manifesting failure to trust God to give him as many victories as there were arrows. The king understood what shooting the first arrow symbolized, and Elisha had explained it. By letting the king shoot more arrows, God was inviting him through Elisha to claim as many victories as he had arrows. God assured him that he would have victory by divine enablement, but perhaps he felt that God could not or would not do as much for him as Elisha had implied. This unbelief explains why Elisha became angry. He had fallen to trust or failed to trust God, even though he knew what God had promised. The prophet told the king that he had shot that had he shot more arrows, God would have honored his faith and given him additional victories. As it was, now he'd only win three. There was a lack of trust. There was a lack of faith. There was this lack of maybe looking foolish, maybe doing the bare minimum, maybe just trying to honor what he said. But for some reason, something got in the way. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was lack of trust. Something got in the way. And he did three, the minimum, to look good, and then just stopped. And he stopped pushing. There's a moment this passivity comes in, and he stops. Your passion ends where you stop pushing. The anointing, the promise for victory, it ended where his passion ended. If he was passionate, like he said he was, he would have shot all the arrows. But where his passion stopped, that's where the anointing stopped. Wow, 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 come on. How do you get passion? Keep striking. So good. Keep striking. So often we shoot once, we shoot twice. And they're like, well, if it's God, it'll work. 
<laughs> and God says, you will get as many victories as you keep striking. I showed you, I gave you the prophetic word, I gave you the message, you have my word, I said go, I said do all these things. Keep striking. The earth is filled with way too many Christians. Uh, they talk about the good old days of God used to do. They used to do great things for God. Keep striking. Have faith for more victories. Have faith for more victories. The way you keep your passion alive is keep striking. The minute you just like, okay, I'll do the bare minimum, it's where your passion's dying. Another commentator said that our success is is a big word, commensurate (laughs) with our faith. If we strike but thrice, we conquest but thrice. If we strike seven times, we attain a perfect victory over the adversary. Is it not this cause of comparative failure in in gospel er effort? Souls are not saved because we do not expect them to be saved. Wow. Wow. A few are saved because we only believe for a few. It is one of the most radical laws in the universe of God. And one which the Lord repeatedly emphasizes that our faith determines the less or the more in our own growth and in the victories we win for Christ. Do not stay, O soul winner, but smite again and yet again in the secret of thy chamber that thou may smite Satan. And compel him to acknowledge thy might. Right now. My whole family's getting saved. Yeah. He's saying that. I'm that right now. Exactly. Souls aren't saved because we didn't expect them to. I didn't expect the victory to be won, so it doesn't happen. I didn't expect for growth to happen, so it doesn't happen. I didn't expect it. I said, well, if it's really God, it'll just happen. Yeah. Whereas God was inviting you, strike until it happens. Good. Wow. Do you have faith to keep pressing, keep pushing? God's promise, God's hand, God's window of opportunity is there. But he puts the choice in us to keep striking. One final quote. All other passions build upon or flow from your passion for Jesus. A passion for souls grows out of a passion for Christ. A passion for missions builds upon a passion for Christ. The most crucial danger to a Christian, whatever his role, is to lack a passion of Christ. The most crucial danger in your life is not Satan. It's losing your passion. The most crucial danger, it is not the the Goliath. It is not the obstacle. It is not the mountain. It is not the demon. It is not the attack. It is not the person. The most crucial danger for you is losing your passion. As a Christian, your number one danger is losing your passion for God. The most direct route to personal renewal and new effectiveness is a new all-consuming passion for Jesus. Oh Lord, give us this passion whatever the cost. That's what this commentator said. This is why Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. God purposely stands back and says, who's going to seek me? Wow, wow, wow. No matter the cost. Come on. Yeah. I want it. And God, this is the conclusion.
baptism, but passion is because of Jesus. When describing the pain of Jesus on the cross, there was no word to describe his pain. So they actually invented a new word that had the word cross in it. It was excruciating. That word excruciating has crux in it. It means cross. Wow. They invented a new word to describe the pain he had to go through. Because saying he was in a lot of pain wasn't enough. They had to literally create a new word that only the definition meant dying on a cross. That's excruciating pain. But the problem is now there's no word to describe a love that would go through this kind of suffering. So they had to also invent a new word. And the word was to define the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And the word they invented... The English word, the invented word to describe the the sufferings of Jesus on the cross was the word passion. Mm. What? The original definition of the word passion, if you look it up, the original definition is the sufferings of Christ on the cross. That's why the movie's called The Passion of the Christ. I'm done. I just blew my mind. So literally, literally, guys, passion is this love that pushed Jesus through everything and through excruciating pain to get to you. That's passion. Doesn't sound like a feeling. It sounds like a choice. Passion was a word invented to describe Christ's action of going through everything the cross to get to you. Jesus chose his suffering for us. He chose it. He committed to it. Passion chooses. Jesus pressed into it when he could have run. Passion presses in. Jesus became the pursuer. Passion is about pursuing. Jesus surrounded himself with disciples, with people, with community. Passion always surrounds itself with others who have passion. Jesus kept striking. He kept going. Passion keeps striking. Jesus was in Always he will be our model for passion. Why does God care more about passion than anything in your walk? Because you look like Jesus when you're passionate. May we look like Jesus. May we be a people of passion. To say I'm just not a very passionate person is to say I'm just really not like Jesus. You guys, like, come on. Like, this is worth being tired. Like, 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 you got it. Like, seriously, this is what changes the world. It's, it's not, it's not Christians who know a lot of theology. It's who Christians who they know a lot of passion. You can know all the theology in the world. You can know all the giftings in the world. You could be a prophet itself. But if you lose your passion, you lose your first love. Jesus himself says, you no longer look like me. And I would rather remove your lampstand. I'd rather remove your influence. I'd rather remove your ability to, to walk in this, all this stuff. I'd rather remove it if it means making you look like me again. Return. He said, repent and return back to your passion. This is why it's a weekend of passion. I want people who look like Jesus. And so I want people who choose passion. Day in and day out. And so, yeah, just stand with me. I know we're tired. We're going to end on this. Stand with me. You guys are doing so well. You're all champions. You're pushing through the tiredness. You're doing great. You're doing great. I know, and I know I was preaching to the crowd. You guys are passionate. You guys are passionate people. Yeah, I'm just, um, <laughs> let's just, I, I felt like we, as a crux, as a family, 
as the body of Christ, need to commit ourselves, bind ourselves, covenant ourselves, promise ourselves unto a passion for God. It's not enough to stand afar and say like, oh, I have gifting, oh, I'm a Christian, I'll stay at a safe distance though, and I'll watch the passion of people go, and I'll watch them do it. I'm satisfied with seeing the miracle. I don't need to be close to the actual person. I'm satisfied watching from afar. I'm satisfied having a title. I'm the son of the prophet. Yippee. I'm satisfied with all these things. Would we be people saying, no, 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 I get close. No, 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 I push into discomfort. No, 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 I choose it. I commit to it. No, 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 no. As the Lord lives, as long as you live, I'm going for this. I will keep striking. 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 Would that be us? Would we be passionate people? Would we look like Jesus? And so just just lift up your hands, and I'm just going to pray and end this. Lord, 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 we ask, God, we ask that you would make us passionate people. And right now, God, we choose it. We choose to be passionate, God. God, we repent. And Lord, oh God, we have been overwhelmed by the very gifts you've given us of that work or that job or that, that person or that thing, Lord. And we've taken our eyes off of you. And we look to the chariots and we say, oh, my father, my father, chariots. We've looked to those things, but God, would you return our eyes to you? Yes, Lord. Would you return our eyes to you, God? Forget the busyness. Return our eyes to you. Forget the gifts. Return our eyes to the giver. Yes, Jesus. Forget the provision. Return our eyes to the provider. Yes. Forget the comforts wow. of this world. Return our eyes to the comforter. Come on. Oh, wow. God. Oh, God, we choose you. Yes. We commit. God, I ask that, you, that, that right now yes. we covenant ourselves. Yes. We promise ourselves. We bind yes. ourselves yes, to you. Yes, to be passionate Jesus. people. God, I ask yes, that our God. influence would never grow yes. faster than our passion. Yes. Well, I, I, ask, I ask that our influence, our lampstand, our light would never go further than our passion. God, I pray the dangerous prayer. God, and I say if my influence is further than my passion, then remove it until my passion is further than my influence. God, God I ask, I ask, I ask, God, that you'd make us pursuers. Make us strikers. Yes. Make us ones who press in. Yes, Jesus. Remove anything you need to remove, God. Yes, Jesus. Anything that hinders love, remove it. Yes. And make us a passionate people, no matter the cost. Give us an expectancy for more. Yes. A desire for more. Yes. A longing for more. More. No matter the cost, God. Yes, Jesus. No matter the cost. Wake us up. Make us uncomfortable. Yes, Lord. We're willing to go the extra distance. Would we be a fiery people, God, who look like Jesus? Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus, our joy for you, our joy is in you. And we're willing to endure whatever it takes, God, to look like you. Tonight, God, we, we, we divorce ourselves from passivity. Come yeah, come on. Yeah. We, right now, we just proclaim even in our hearts and our minds and in the spirit, we break anything 
There would be passivity in our hearts that's dying down this flame. We break it and we covenant ourselves to a fresh passion with you, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you, God. We surrender it all. We don't care, God, anymore what people think. We don't care how it looks. Passion looks ugly a lot of times. The sons of the prophet, they didn't understand the passion of Elisha. Yeah. God, would we, would we not be satisfied with schools? Would we press into sonship? Mm. Would we press into being sons and daughters? Mm. Would we have a passion for the people more than the gift, even? Yes. Yes. Would we have a passion for intimacy? Yes. With you? Yes. We love you, God. This camp changes. This camp changes. Yeah. Change us, God. Will we go down? Or will we be passionate people, God? If passion's a feeling, then, then it'll die in a week. Yeah. Wow. But God, if it's a choice, Come on. then in 40 years we'll still burn. Come on. Yes. Yes. That's right. We choose it tonight. We choose it. We commit ourselves to it. We commit ourselves to you, God. We adore you. We'll go wherever you send us, God. Lord, near or far, we'll go. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name. God, I ask as we go tonight, would you do something deep in our hearts? Yes. Would this not just remain a journal entry, God? Yes. God, would this not remain just notes? Yes, God. Would it change the core of us, God? core of who we are. Would we never look at passion the same? And would we realize that it's something we choose daily? Yeah. I ask for an impartation of passion to fill every person in this room. Thank you, Lord. God, a double portion all of it. Yes. Fill, them, fill them fresh, God. Yes. We love you, God. We love you. Bless us as we sleep. Bless us as we rest. God, we ask for divine dreams from heaven, angelic visitations. God, we, we ask for all the more, all that you have, all of it. We ask for it all, God. We love you. We open up to you and to each other. We're vulnerable. We're risking it. We're stepping out, God. We're pressing in. It's all for you. It's all for your glory, God. We love you. Well, guys. So it's about, it's almost midnight. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.